Proverbs 8. Listen as wisdom calls out. Hear as understanding raises her voice. On the hilltop along the road, she takes her stand at the crossroads. By the gates at the entrance to the town, on the road leading in, she cries out aloud, I call to you, to all of you. I raise my voice to all people. You simple people, use good judgment. You foolish people, show some understanding. Listen to me, for I have important things to tell you. Everything I say is right, for I speak the truth that detest every kind of deception and detest every kind of deception. My advice is wholesome. There's nothing devious or crooked in it. My words are plain to anyone with understanding, clear to those with knowledge. Choose my instruction rather than silver and knowledge rather than pure gold. For wisdom is far more valuable than rubies and nothing you desire can compare with it. I, wisdom, live together with good judgment. I know where to discover knowledge and discernment. All who fear the Lord will hate evil. Therefore, I hate pride and arrogance, corruption and perverse speech. Common sense and success belong to me. Insight and strength are mine. Because of me, kings reign and rulers make just decrees. Rulers lead with my help and nobles will make righteous judgments. I love all who love me. Those will, who search will surely find me. I have riches and honor as well as enduring wealth and justice. My gifts are better than gold, even the purest gold, and my wages better than sterling silver. I walk in righteousness, in paths of justice, and those who love me inherit wealth. I will fill their treasuries. The Lord formed me from the beginning, before he created anything else. I was appointed in ages past, at the very first, before the earth began, I was born before the oceans were created, before the springs bubbled forth their waters, before the mountains were formed, and before the hills I was born, before he made the earth and the, fe the, earth and the fields and the first handfuls of soil. I was there when he established the heavens, when he drew the horizon on the oceans. I was there when he set the clouds above, when he established springs deep in the earth. I was there when he set the limits of the seas so they would not spread beyond their boundaries and when he marked off the earth's foundations. I was the architect at his side. I was his constant delight, rejoicing always in his presence. And how happy I was with the world he created. And I rejoice with the human family. And so, my children, listen to me. All who follow my ways are joyful. Listen to my instruction and be wise don't ignore it joyful are those who listen to me watchful for me daily watching for me daily at my gates waiting for me outside my home whoever finds me finds life and receives favor from the lord but those who miss me injure themselves and all who hate me love death that's the reading of the word thanks be to god you may be seated All the kids are invited to Kids Church with Kelly this morning. They'll be going over the book of Jonah. In one lesson, I have this 
this idea that Jonah can't be taught in one lesson. It at least needs three, and it probably needs four. Um, and all of you are not shocked because your pastor is a snob. Um, does wisdom not call out? Does understanding raise her voice? This Sunday we've reached to sort of where I think and I feel like Proverbs has been heading, at least in these first nine chapters, is sort of this, this pinnacle notion of, of when Lady Wisdom is going to speak. And so far we've heard from her in chapter one, but most of the discourse since then has been between the father and a child or son. Uh, the father will also allude in several of his lectures to a mother as well and a daughter. So it hasn't all been uh, fathers and sons, but it's been a mix of both. Um, and uh, they've been warning about Lady Folly, and they've been warning about men who lead people astray. And one of the things that as we pick up Proverbs 8 today, or John 1, which Brian read about the, the light that comes into the world, the logos that comes in the world, and that there is darkness around, is that scripture is keeping us from being naive. And I think that's an important um, designation for us that scripture is helping us remain from being naive. And part of what I think, um, why I think that's an important insight is because in, in Christianity, and I've seen this uh, more often than, than I'd like to say was good, um, naivete can look as a virtue. It's obviously not, but people who can act in such a way can begin to seem virtuous. Um, there was a guy in the college ministry I was a part of, um, who would say, uh, uh, oh, that's so poopy. Um, and people would act like he was somehow keeping withholding his voice in some virtuous way. And I thought, that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Because um, we know what you're referring to, but you're not saying it. And your naivete is, is sort of displayed in this way. It keeps us from being naive in several other ways, um, not just in that way, but it keeps, us from know, it keeps us in knowing that there is darkness in this world, in, Genesis, or in John language, in, in, in Proverbs language, that there are people and ways of paths of destruction. The last warning we had about Lady Folly was her house is the highway to the grave leading down to the chambers of death. Death abounds in these warnings. Paths towards despair and violence were full in these warnings. And so when we hear from Proverbs, Lady Wisdom, at chapter 8, if you just had this, you could go about your life in a way that denies the reality of the world in its dysfunction. It's a little bit of a, a perhaps a, a worrying concern because most people if they knew any part of Proverbs from memory, it would probably be some section of this prayer, some section of this speech from Lady Wisdom. Uh, maybe occasionally they'll know a proverb, um, but most likely it'll just be um, something from this section of Scripture. But again, if we pull it from that place, we begin to deny that darkness and death is ready and available in our world. And it's Lady Wisdom who knows this as well. It's Lady Wisdom who's giving and crying out to people to avoid that path, to avoid going in that way. Now, these Sundays, um, when we went through Deuteronomy, it was the Shema. 
Went through Leviticus, it was nothing, maybe except for love of neighbor. Uh, Numbers, uh, Balaam. Um, There's Sundays where, as we've been doing the Old Testament, where nobody has any idea really what anybody would say about that section of scripture, except for what base is there. Because we've never really heard sermons on it before. We've never really talked or thought about it before. And then there are sections like Lady Wisdom in Proverbs 8, where it's like everybody's thought and heard and had some relationship to this in the church. Maybe in the lectionary, it's shoved into a weird day if you've been a part of a a lectionary-based church, um, which is not a benefit for the lectionary on this one, although all Proverbs is pretty much thrown off in the lectionary, which raises the question of what's the lectionary doing with wisdom um, as a whole. Um, But the point being is that for these, these are hard Sundays for me because um, I feel like the game is raised, you know, uh, some weird lecture in between the father and the son about avoiding folly. It's like, I didn't have a clue before I started either. Um, when we get to one like this, it's, it's a, a heightened sort of lesson. And so what I want to do is um, walk through the text in, in just a moment, just sort of go through it line by line so that we can hear it again. The stakes are also raised on this one, I should say, and, and it might come up again in the sermon, is that in the early church, Lady Wisdom was always Jesus. Um, because they thought typologically. And this led to a big conflict between Arius, one half of the church that thought Jesus was a sub-divine work, and another half of the church, which won out, which that Jesus was a divine work concurrent with God the Father of one substance and one where we get the language of the Trinity from. Um, So they all agreed, Lady Wisdom, typologically reading, which is not a reading we use often today, was a a typology of Jesus. And yet, lines like that he brought me forth were used by Arius to say, see, if you're going to say Jesus is Lady Wisdom, he was born, which destroys the whole trinity that Athanasius and the other fathers who went out were trying to build up. So point being is it's, it's a bit of a dangerous passage just because, you know, you get it wrong, you end up in heresy and condemned by the church so much that some schmuck standing up 2,000 years later is like, remember these guys as the losers, um, the schmuck being me. Um, uh, and so that's a bit of the heightened level of this, which is why I think I want to avoid too much of that um, trying to make a harder or weaker Christological case. I think what the early church did in its typological reading is brilliant and amazing, Um, And typological readings, I think, for them didn't always mean Jesus is literally Lady Wisdom. Um, uh, It's a type. And then Jesus becomes the type which is better. There's a common phrase that, um, I forget which famer pastor uses, but but so-and-so was not the Christ, but they came to bear witness to the Christ. And I think with Lady Wisdom, that's probably one of the, perhaps the safer space to reside, is that she's this type that is so close and bears witness to it, and yet in Christ and the Logos that Brian read to us from John 1, the Logos sort of precedes that. It becomes greater than that. And so it protects us from having to have weird Hebrew fights about what does it mean. Um, the NLT, which Kim read, said architect, could mean child or steadfast, um, and fights over what does it mean that was brought forth or birthed or this, that, and the other. But it lets weighty, Lady Wisdom sort of stand on her own as one who bears witness to Christ. And I think that's a helpful place. And, and this will all come back full circle. The last sermon, which will be on the Proverbs 31 uh, wife, um, I'm sure all Christian women are looking forward to that. Um, uh, I want to reconnect back to Lady Wisdom. Because I think in the way that we talk about the divine logos becoming enfleshed, 
The Proverbs 31 woman is Lady Wisdom becoming enfleshed in the streets of the, of the world, that she becomes one who incarnates the wisdom that's spoken about in cosmic ways in chapter 8. At the end of the book of Proverbs, we have another woman who becomes um, that enfleshed. And, and in case you're not here that Sunday, the main point of that will be as men or as women are called to uh, image Christ— even though he was, he was male or born male, you can debate about his cosmic body to some degree, um, uh, so men are, are encouraged to incarnate the Proverbs 31 woman to, to model her lifestyle as well because she is the, the localized of lady wisdom. So uh, now men are excited to also be abused by the Proverbs 31 women as well because we held that out as a as a type for women that's too high to reach, and, and I, don't, I haven't been to these women's conferences. I've heard about them. Um, so now two men will hear that she is a type which we strive for but is not always within our grasp or reach. Um, I'm sure you're all looking forward to that now. Um, but that's where we'll be going. Um, so the last thing, we've been talking about wisdom as the art of skilled living. Uh, Lady Wisdom is going to vocalize what does it mean in her art of skilled living, that this is going to be her speech. This is going to be her way of phrasing that. And one of the things I wanted to say, David said um, last week several times that uh, God, all God's truth is, um, all truth is God's truth. Um, and th- it's a great phrase um, because it lays out that the skilled living truth is God's truth today. But we live in a world of technological truth. And so if you've ever, uh, lots of pastors love the book um, Good to Great by Jim Collins. And I say, oh, I'm a little wary of secular business advice for the church. I think it can cause us to utilize people too much and abuse them and this, that, and the other, and maybe not be wise leaders. And they'll say, well, all truth is God's truth. And, and which is kind of an abuse of the phrase because you know, it's like saying um, the technology that goes into the atomic bomb used, you know, is all truth is God's proof. Now, now this, is, uh, this is a lesson that I want all of us to learn because I think it's important, although very short, I want to, uh, is that the first person to bring up Hitler in any argument loses the argument. Um, so if your one exception is Hitler, like you lost. And so I'm going to do that in this conversation with my good to great friends, which is to say leadership principles from Hitler, we would all say is a bad idea. So all truth is God's truth in that way is not smart. Um, which, which the example, like I said, I lost the argument there because I was the first one to bring up Hitler, therefore I lost. But the example is that Lady Wisdom's truth can only be utilized towards good. There is no using wisdom, the skilled living truth, towards evil. And the reason that Lady Wisdom, I think, is personified, this is, I think, very important too, is that in her personification, she becomes something we live in relationship with. So as I was thinking about this this morning, and there are better analogies for this that come from the book of Proverbs, but it would be like advice telling your children to never speed. And they grow up, and their wife is pregnant, and they're about to give birth in their car, and they need to get to the hospital fast, but they live by the rule never speed. Now you could come up with lots of examples about this, but living in wisdom is living in relationship, is living in, in, in a space with it. So it's not the same as like just having a set of rules. And, and the fact that lady wisdom is portrayed here before we get to what can seem like rules but are not in fact rules, but Proverbs and the rest of the book of Proverbs, we're finding out that it's a relational space. 
And again, in, in the early chapters, we've heard the relational space towards destruction, towards which pulls us away in temptation and lust and brings us down to the grave. Here, that relational space is one that um, lifts us up, that we are called to sort of fall in love or, I mean, sort of is, is kind of a weird phrase there because it's not, I mean, we're pretty much called to fall in love with Lady Wisdom. I say sort of and that kind of weakens um, uh, you know, it, marriage is just a piece of paper, like you didn't have to put just in the sentence, right? Like marriage is more than, it, it's the piece of paper represents more, it represents this, this something beyond. Um, so when I say sort of, I actually don't mean sort of. Like we're called to fall in love and become enamored with lady wisdom. To hear from her and to walk her past, to move in her ways, to be in that place. And so that's where um, today's, uh, sermon is about, is entering into lifelong relations with Lady Wisdoms, uh, this, this um, thing that's interwoven into creation. The last thing, I've been trying to use quotes to talk about wisdom. Um, uh, this is about the evil one, just, just the true wisdom is such, no evil, uh, no evil use can ever be made of it. That's St. Augustine. So that was about when I was talking about um, Wisdom is not being capable of being used for evil and our technological notions of what smart and intellect is. But this is a quote I wanted to, to just hit right before we get into the text. It's easy for me to imagine that the next great division of the world will be between those who wish to live as creatures and people who wish to live as machines. Um, rules, technological knowledge, being able to absorb all the truths into our mind, but not being able to live rightfully. Um, Lady Wisdom speaks to us as people who live as creatures in relationship to her, the creation that she is witness to and orders, and then the God who's responsible for that creation. To live in this handiwork as creatures. And yet, it seems much of our modern world, and this is Wendell Berry writing, I would guess, in the 80s. I should have looked up the exact source. But people who choose to live as machines, to trust all the complexes and the, and the knowledge and the stuff we have in the world, rather, and, and part of learning to live as creatures, and this is key to Berry, but also key, or, key to scripture, is learning to live with limits. If we think we live as machines, we can begin to live limitlessly. Thinking we're in control of, of, of birth and death and how and what we can do with our lives and the limits of how I express myself and the adornments I put on myself, that everything can be boiled down to what's in my mind almost. But to live as creatures it always implies creator to live in relationship with that one. And I believe that it, Barry, and certainly I don't think uh, it would be wise to debate, it's to live as, as a creature in relationship with Lady Wisdom and to resist the urge to live as machines. And um, 
just as a, and this probably should have been the quote on the back of the bulletin, but as a keen thing to think about, like pray into this and look into it and in, in how things are portrayed to you in the world. Uh, not just advertisements, although you see it there perhaps the highest, but the promises that technology holds out for us. It's limitlessness. It's the way in which we can, we can anticipate a day where we can um, design, I mean, not that anybody here may be looking forward to this, but, but design our children um, through DNA enhancing, like that we can, we can begin to lose these things. And for Christians, this is where I, what's the next great division, uh, and I, when I quote this from memory, it's good to have it up there, I always say the next great war will be, be between those who decide to live as creatures and machines, because in my memory, in my mind, the next great division, when, when, when people say we choose to live as creatures, in a world that's so mechanized and inhuman in its way, there'll be a way in which to say that that brings a battle about. Um, and so what does it mean for us to live in relationship to Lady Wisdom, to be, to be found in this plate? L- Lady Wisdom, at the start of this passage, goes to the city gates. Um, this is an ancient Near East city gate, uh, probably more modern um, than the one in, in Proverbs, but... Those ones looked relatively, you would not recognize them as city gates if I put them up here. So I went with one that would look, in some sense, like a city gate. That Lady Wisdom is this one, and, and if you remember from the last story in many of the lectures that the Father gives the Son, it happens at night. It happens in secret. The way we are pulled into death is in this weird betrayal sense. But Lady Wisdom goes to the corner of everything where people enter in to give her speech to raise her voice, to be known in the world. She goes to the center of this thing and raises her voice. There's a second way of looking at this. We're going to mainly follow that this is, we enter into the city past Lady Wisdom, and the city is our, our life, and our life has dangers and temptations within it. It has Lady Folly. It has the men who will pull us from the path. And so Lady Wisdom is there, giving advice before we enter the city. Now, um, so you, you, you come up with a sermon and then you have stuff in, in order, but then it makes more sense to move it up. This was going to be near the end. There's a story of um, uh, uh, a folktale of a god. I, I mean, it's a, it's a Muslim story, a folktale of a god who sets an angel about to teach everybody wisdom because they think the book and the rules that they've given are too hard. So the angel goes out and goes across the earth teaching everybody wisdom, comes back to the divine council. The God asks, um, how'd it go? And the angel is all uh, muddied and scarred and says, "Uh, I went and I did it, and everybody was too busy to hear the wisdom that I had. This folktale is probably at least 1,500 years old, if not longer. Even in that context, everybody was too busy to hear wisdom. Lady Wisdom goes to the city gate. She goes to the marketplace is what one of these phrases will say. She goes to this place, and you can imagine everybody being like, it'd be nice to have time for that. But I've got to make a sale. I've got to move on with my life. I've got to, I mean, uh, compulsively check social media and statistics and news to find out what's going on. Or, or, or as David confessed last week, checking where Aaron Rodgers is going to end up with, with the Packers. Um, some things are higher, some things are lower, but they're all compulsive nonetheless. Um, uh, we feed these beasts into our lives, 
and we can't hear wisdom. Ellen Davies is one of my favorite commentators in the book of Proverbs so far. She's a professor at Duke, and she was the one whose, whose commentary had that story in it. She said, I can imagine this at the Divinity School at Duke University. The job is wisdom and training people up in wisdom. But we have papers to publish, chapel messages to give, places to go and be, ladders to climb. If the light is that dark at Duke Divinity School, how much rougher is it in our lives? I remember one of my first jobs, I was serving as a youth deacon as a church, so it says a lot about me. Um, but the, the guy, my boss, said, that you're at your age, you should only care about two things, jobs and sports. Um, and you shouldn't be a youth deacon at your church. Too busy for wisdom to come in. Too busy to hear. Lady, wisdom goes out. And you can imagine, uh, and she calls to the phrase we heard last week, the uncommitted. She raises her voice. Uh, what's great about this one is she raises her voice to all mankind. She takes her stance. There's um, six places that describe where she's at. She's at the highest point along the way just to say she's where visible to everyone. Uh, the path is clear, but so few are those who will walk it. She's where the paths meet, which is this theme we've talked about from the book of Proverbs. There's the path to life and the path to death. At the end of this, at the end of this teaching, she's going to compel people to choose too, which brings us to that Deuteronomic saying that I set before you life and death, choose life. She stands at a crossroads for people. Beside the gate leading into the city, these six descriptors, um, she stands at this place where, where people are entering into this place in which challenges will rise. At the entrance, at the beginning of the journey, she calls out. To you people I call out, I raise my voice to all mankind. You are simple, gain prudence. You are foolish, set your hearts on it. Listen, for I have trustworthy sayings to things. I open my lips to speak what is right. My mouth speaks what's in true, for my lips detest wickedness, and the words of my mouth are just. None of them is crooked or perverse. To discerning, all of them are right. They are upright to those who have found knowledge. She then describes the words that she gives that they should set their heart on. So she's... Um, the six locations, besides commerce, the entrance in, she calls out to all humanity. Um, uh, one of the phrases, sorry, there was upright. I wanted to, to share this. I'm trying to move fast because I, I spent too much time someplace else. Um, there are many angles in which you can fall, but only one angle in which you can stand straight. Uh, this is G.K. Chesterton. There are many angles to which you fall. When she uses the phrase upright, truthful, um, her, she talks about her language as solid. The wisdom she offers is solid, which is to say she's offering a place, an angle at which you can stand upright, um, but there are many angles at which you can fall. Again, she's calling out into a world where falling over is the norm but offering an angle at which you can stand upright. There are eight qualifications for her language in those verses between um, uh, where she describes her words. Um, to you, O people, I cry out, you are a simple game, prudish, set your hearts upon it. Listen, for I have trustworthy things to say. Um, right, upright, she utters truth 
Um, she opposes wickedness. She speaks against abomination. Righteousness and justice are her norm. Her path doesn't lead to death or to the crooked or perverse. And she sets straight things before you and she closes with upright again. Here she ends this teaching with choose my instruction instead of silver. This is part of which in our choice in life, uh, between machines and creatures perhaps, or between wisdom and folly, or between uh, life and death, is it's so easy to choose just below than it is to choose higher. Choose my instruction instead of silver, knowledge rather than choice gold, for wisdom is more precious than rubies, and nothing you desire can compare to her. Gold and silver and wealth, these things which we can choose instead, are being called to say to choose wisdom because that brings us someplace further and beyond, the skilled living in the world. She's calling out for the people of, I think, I mean, it's us. Um, I think that we, uh, well, I'm a pastor. I can think I'm committed on a path, that I am not the uncommitted that Proverbs warns about. But I think our world is so um, laden with choices today and maybe always has been in which committedness can show up in many different ways. Um, We have this way, perhaps um, always have, of using our language above what our actual desires are. Um, I desire for my children to be raised in a Christian household. Uh, Would you like to read the Bible with them for 10 minutes a day? Ha! Um, uh, we, we speak desires in which it's harder for us to hold. Um, my own life. Um, I mean, we betray in our own life. We betray around our, our, our stated goals. We display, and it's not to say that things aren't hard. Um, but when we hear wisdom's call to choose something rather than silver or gold, um, it's to choose and to set on a right path. And one of the things Kelly and I have gone, grown fond of is, is trying to not let more or excellence stop us from today. Um, most days when I drove Rosie to school at the Thunder River Market, I'd ask how I could pray for her today. But if I did not do it, I did not say, well, tomorrow the streak is broken, I will not begin again. And this happens with Bible and a year plans, if you've ever done one. At some point, you just say, bankrupt, um, not going further along this path. But I think it's wiser for us to hear and to recommit ourselves, to set our feet again on the path that Lady Wisdom is is portraying for us, to go again, to not just give up, um, to continue to grow in these ways, to grow in wisdom and uprightness, to walk this path, to walk this way, uh, to keep going. And so that's that's the choose notion of this. The next one, uh, the next teaching, which takes us from... um, 12 to 21 uh, talks about her role in the civil order and after that it talks about her role in the cosmic order which are both phenomenal ways to think about wisdom because what she's saying is that in the ordered way of living in the world justly and good lady wisdom is there lady wisdom and you can read this and uh it's probably um wise and probably something i should do more of to pray for wisdom for governmental authorities in this and that. Um, I don't do it near enough. But I do think that each of us has realms in which we can exercise competence 
And what Lady Wisdom is saying there is uh, Emily's a teacher. Uh, well, Emily's are teachers, plural. Um, there's classrooms in which we can set and receive wisdom to make the classroom a better place. We each have spaces, uh, whether it's families or marriages or uh, relations to, um, to grandchildren up or to our jobs um, or our careers or whatever you want to pick, in which we can exercise and receive this wisdom so that we have more competence in those places. The standards by which wisdom can speak to us is where we are. There used to be, it's, it's, it's at least diminishing this idea that I have a religious life and I have a private life and the two meet not often. But I think that the church today is wisely reclaiming that in your workplace, in your relationships with the people nearest you, you can begin to hear wisdom and exercise it there if but you open your ears and do it. And it's not to say that that type of work is always easy. But in seeking, I think we find. Um, and oftentimes in my life, I think it was a failure of seeking that led to despair more than I messed up. <laughs> um, perhaps many of you guys, I mean, I mess up plenty, but I think my bigger mistake is I fail even to expect wisdom to show up in that place than it is that I sought wisdom and it turned out to be I applied it in air. Does that make sense? Is, is it's just so much easier not to try at all um, and to do it my way and then to still end up in air regardless. Um, but to seek wisdom suggests that she'll meet us there. She talks about speaking to rulers and kings and princes and all the nobles of the earth. Um, before that, she says, to fear the Lord is to hate all evil, um, which again should remind us of that Jesus is the one who delights in the fear of the Lord, um, which I just, that's from Isaiah 11. Jesus delights, the, the prophet it speaks of is one who delights in the fear of the Lord. Delight's going to show up later too in this passage. But just in her civil realm, she speaks all these things and it begins to have fruit. I love those who love me and those who seek uh, me find me. There was a notion in some of the lectures that there was an exchange um, of of money or something to receive the gift. Um, there was theft, this, that, and the other. Whereas uh, Lady Wisdom's relationship is more like love. It's a free gift. Those who love, uh, I love those who love me, and those who seek me find me. Um, not those who buy me, not those who steal, not those who rob, but love and seek, which I think sets this relationship on a different realm, especially in a world in which we try to buy uh, so much wisdom or enduring um, prosperity. And, and riches and honor come with this. My fruit is better than fine gold. What I yield surpasses choice silver. Going back to that last passage where it ended, you know, don't seek gold or silver. And if you've come to Lady Wisdom, the reward is, is in some sense um, what you might have wanted all along. I walk in the way of righteousness along the paths of justice, be destroying a rich inheritance on those who love me and making their treasures full. There's a promise here, and in, in Christ it takes on a different turn in that those who love their life will lose it and, and, and they'll gain more in that way. Um, Lady Wisdom um, uh, offers rewards that, that then Jesus turns into sort of an eternal thing, um, which I think is worth in keeping in mind. The next is Lady's Wisdom role in the cosmic order. This is where that difficulty with Christian heresy comes. So skipping forward. No. Uh, <laughs> um, 
Lady Wisdom is, uh, is at creation. And she's ingrained in the way the world is. Wisdom is, is uh, it, it, architect is the word uh, that I think the NLT used that, that Kim read. But she's, she's sort of there as this co-partner in making this world so that it is brought into it. And this is to say that, that the world we live in, because of wisdom, is a coherent panorama of a place rather than a, a series of events that continue and continue endlessly. That there's something to this. The image I had for this um, was uh, a music scale. Should come up. Um, is, is that there's a scale set into the order of creation. That there's a tone in which there is a way to live. And wisdom sets that in this place. It's ingrained and made into the world. Now, I tried to choose one a jazz scale. Uh, Carla can explain it all to you later. Um, but what I, the reason why I tried to choose a jazz, jazz scale is because it also implies uh, inspiration, or huh, improvisation. Improvisation. Um, it implies improvisation, going back to that relationship with Lady Wisdom. It's not just a standard set of rules to follow in this, but it's the scale in which we move into sync with, and that begins to enliven our lives so that we improvise in ways that are fruitful and good and true. It's not that there is one script that all of you have, one script to live, and that's for you to live and suffer to die with, but it's a script in which we improvise holy, true, and good and faithful lives from. So she, in the first half of this poem, is, is described as being the first of his work before the deeds of old. I was formed long ago at the very beginning when the world came to be. When there were no watery depths, I was given birth. Where there were no springs overflowing with water. Before the mountains were settled into place. Before the hills, I was given birth. Before he made the worlds or its fields or any of the dust of the earth, I was there when he set the heavens in place, when he marked out the horizon on the face of the deep, when he established the clouds above and fixed securely the fountains of the deep, when he gave the sea its boundary so that the waters would not overstep his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth. Then I was constantly at his side. I was filled with delight day after day, rejoicing always in presence, rejoicing in the whole world and delighting in mankind." Psalm 8 was the psalm we read for, this delight that God has in mankind, that, that as Lady Wisdom described it there, she's going through the arc of creation, and it ends where creation also ends, in the gift of humanity in the world. It builds up to that place, and that is what she delights in. Um, so she's, she's deep into creation, uh, to say that. Um, trying to think if I had one. Uh, she's, she's God's companion in this, uh, which was clear. Um, trying to think. The, the, the allusion to water has to do with chaos, too, as we know from the Genesis story. Um, but she's there at the beginning. And this, oh, this is what I was going to say. Job, uh, the book of Job, which is coming in two summers. Uh, you can compare this speech to Job's lack of wisdom and knowledge. He always is saying, I'm not, I wasn't there at the creation. I don't know. And Lady Wisdom was. 
And what Lady Wisdom sort of portrays for us is that we can move into that spot. It's, it's sad because Job is always portrayed as higher wisdom, particularly in our world that likes dark stories, than Proverbs. Proverbs is base wisdom that works when it works, and when it doesn't work, read Job or Ecclesiastes. But what Lady Wisdom is actually offering is being able to get in on what Job is always complaining that he can't see by getting to know her. She was there. She was in that place. She was involved in that, that story then. The last thing is her um, uh, delighting, uh, wisdom's delight. The back of the bulletin's quote for today is, this was uh, delighting in the fear of the Lord from Isaiah. If you're interested in that passage, I can go back for a sec. The spirit of the Lord will rest upon them, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the spirit of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. This is a passage describing Jesus as he comes to us. And what does it mean for us to share in this delight? This is the quote on the back of the bulletin from G.K. Chesterton again. Because children have abounding vitality, because they are in spirit fierce and free, therefore they want things repeated and unchanged. They always say, do it again, and the grown person does it again until he is nearly dead. <laughs> For grown-up people are not strong enough to exalt in monotony. Not strong enough to exalt in monotony. But perhaps God is strong enough to exalt in monotony. It is possible that God says every morning, do it again to the sun, and every evening, do it again to the moon. It may not be, uh, it may not be automatic necessity that all that that makes all daisies alike. It may be that God makes every daisy separately, but has never gotten tired of making them. It may be that he has the eternal appetite of infancy, for we have sinned and grown old, and our father is younger than we. We fail to delight in creation the way that Lady Wisdom does. We find it rote and boring. It was last night I was at the wedding for Jeremy and, and Haley, and it was a great and joyous time. And as I don't, I'm sure this has happens to you guys occasionally when people from the sad and sorry states of Texas or the upper Midwest come and visit, they say, do you ever get sick of it here? Like, do you ever wake up bored to the beauty that surrounds you? Um, and I think if we're honest, there are times where it happens. And yet what we can learn from Lady Wisdom is she is always delighting in this creation. Uh, St. Augustine will talk about God ever ancient and ever new. Ever ancient and ever new. We often transcribe onto wisdom and, and these things this sense of timelessness and transcendence, which is true, but we forget But they're also fresh. God's mercies are new every day day that God meets us in that place and so to end for today is that we have this chance to get to know Lady Wisdom we have this chance to get in with Lady Wisdom and to learn the ways in which wisdom lives and exists in the world as creatures of God as creatures and in this way uh, that Proverbs is capturing of creatures alongside Lady Wisdom but it is not for us to forget the logos that Brian read about the one who is Christ, who is the wisdom of God embodied amongst us. He is the final of the type that she reveals for us. And so too, as we invite Lady Wisdom...
to guard us from folly, to keep us on the path of life, to instruct us in the artful way of living. So too we ask Jesus to meet us in that place as well. Let us pray. God, through a beautiful poem in Proverbs 8, you have spoken to us the path of life. It's calling out to us. It stands in prominent places and it, it meets us at the choices between life and death. So often we seek that which is just below, just close enough, just near the place. God, restore in us the meeting again with wisdom. Wisdom in this passage is not hidden from us, but is near and calling out. It's woven into the fabric of the world that we live in. It speaks to us in the places that we have some power and competency to bring life into the world. If it works for kings, it works in our lives as well. And so God, draw us into the fabric of the world, of your created order and the gift that you give us in wisdom. And so too, in falling in love with this, we will fall in love with your son again and meet the mercies that are new every morning. Amen.